Hello everybody, welcome back to Caffeinated Bible Chatter. We are back for another episode. Uh, we got our, our Bibles out, the sword is in front of us. Uh, we got the, the coffee here, it's hot, we're, we're ready to go. Dylan, what's going on? Man, it's going good. I, uh, I'm sipping on some coffee as we speak, as you just said. Got a new creamer, Southern Butter Pecan. And it is, I'm sure your mind goes straight to ice cream. That's why I bought it, because my mind went straight to ice cream when I saw it at the store. <laughs> and it has delivered as promised. It is It is good. So, uh, got the Southern Pecan creamer in my hand. Got the sword on, on my lap, and we're ready to make it roll. That's right. Uh, so, so here recently, we've been on this end times thing. Um, so if you've missed some of those first episodes, we talked about the rapture of the church. We talked about the tribulation. Uh, and then we talked about two weeks ago, we talked about the judgment seat, um, where we'll be standing before the throne and all that stuff. Uh, last week we took a little break. Uh, so we're back here now. And this week we're going to be talking about the millennium, uh, or the thousand year reign of Christ being here on earth, his second coming where he physically comes down to this earth. Um, I think this will be a, a cool topic uh, to talk about today. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as we've kind of, well, we said this week after week, but we are just, uh, I can't even remember what it was now that got us into into end time stuff. I think um, one of the dispensationalist, uh, dispensationalism episodes, we got talking about, you know, Revel- the book of Revelation and end times and how people wrongly divide that. And so it rolled us into all this. Yeah. But uh, we've been trying to, you know, go through as if we were laying out a timetable, um, you know, from the rapture, which is the next thing prof- on the prophetic calendar. We've been trying to go from rapture uh, to each major stop of what's going on. Some of those things are obviously going on at the same time, like the like the tribulation and the judgment seat of Christ and judgment seat, of course, for the believers in the church age and the tribulation uh, for those that uh, do not know the Lord. Um, and so, you know, last week we obviously finished up with the judgment seat of Christ. And like I just said, that that was going on at the same time as the tribulation. So those were the last two topics that we hit. And so that brings us into uh, the, the title of, of tonight being the second coming of Christ. Now, we did technically skip over the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is a, a key thing that happens at the end of uh, really, it happens after the judgment seat and happens at the end of the tribulation, although it's happening for the church. So the church, as they're up in heaven, as we're up in heaven, will be experiencing the judgment seat of Christ and then the marriage supper of the Lamb while the tribulation is still going on and then actually winding down. And then it's at the end of the marriage supper of the Lamb and the end of the tribulation that the second coming takes place. So I just wanted to throw that out there because that is a, a pretty big deal, but we... we didn't find it necessary to go through an entire episode about that because we've actually talked a lot about the marriage supper of the lamb sprinkled out, uh, sprinkled without, uh, throughout several episodes. Um, just talking about the garments. If you were to go back and look at, and listen to even the judgment seat of Christ, listen to, I think one of the rapture ones, uh, we just talk about, uh, the garments and the things that, that we'll receive or we'll be wearing at the marriage supper of the lamb. We're not wearing and that has direct uh, ties to the millennium. Um, so just to kind of to kind of uh, dot those I's and cross those T's again, just since it's been a few weeks, 
what we do now after coming to Christ determines how we do at the judgment seat of Christ. So what we invest our lives in now, we, 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 will, sow, uh, we will reap that one day at the judgment seat of Christ in rewards or losing uh, things, not losing our salvation, but suffering loss uh, of our life, just lose, you know, a wasted life essentially. Um, and then so how we do at the judgment seat then determines our garments at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then that carries over into how much or how little we rule and reign with Jesus Christ, and we'll say more about that tonight so that'll make sense for you. Uh, so... The way I would uh, start this out maybe is, Kyle, maybe let's read Revelation 19, uh, 11 through 16. So this is this is the actual passage of the second coming. And again, as we've already said so many times, you know, if you follow along with us, we believe in the obviously literal return of Christ. And there's people that don't believe that because they don't take their Bible literally. Um, we do, and so we believe that he is literally coming again. And uh, the the actual text that you find that taking place, the event that is coming down the pipe in history is found in Revelation 19, uh, and specifically verses 11 through 16. So, Big Cow, if you want to read that. Yep, Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there it is, the literal second coming of, of Christ. And so uh, I've got five major things, as I always try to do. I just try to lay this out in bullet points just to kind of, it's really for me to stay on track, but just to kind of give us uh, some handlebars on what we're looking at. Um, but the first thing I would I would lay out to you as this is really just a reminder is that the second coming is is always connected with the millennial reign. Uh, so I say that because you may you may hear us say millennium, and then you also may hear us say second coming, and you're like, okay, wait a second, which one are we talking about? Well, uh, technically the two events are not the same thing, but the the whole purpose of the second coming is for the millennial reign. So he's obviously Jesus is coming back for a purpose. He's not just coming back just to, you know, for the heck of it. He's coming back for a purpose, and the purpose is to set up his kingdom uh, here on earth and to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And uh, a millennium is a thousand years, and so it's obviously it's a it's a thousand year reign. So uh, that's important that you that you understand that because the title of this episode is the second coming of Christ, but they are both uh, connected together. That's the whole purpose of, of his second coming. And then I would also say this as, as kind of a reminder that we've, are, we've actually already talked about this as well, but that is that Christ's second coming is technically in two parts. So the first part of his second coming is at the rapture. Now the rapture is not where he actually comes back to this earth, and we talked about that in those rapture episodes, uh, but that is the first part of his second coming. Like So he, 
uh, he appears first in the clouds. He takes his church away, takes us away, those of us that know Christ, and we are will be forever with him or be forever with the Lord. That's what First Thessalonians chapter four talks about. Okay, so we're raptured up with Christ, and then that whole uh, you know about seven years or so of of uh, judgment seat of Christ, marriage supper of the Lamb takes place, and then he comes down. And so the way you can break that down when you're studying your Bible is that in the book of Revelation, there are two times that heaven opens specifically. And, uh, and Kyle, if you want to, if you want to stay in Revelation 19, yeah. and I'm going to go to Revelation, uh, Revelation 4.1. So Revelation 4.1, heaven opens. And if you remember, we said that John is a picture of the church. He's the disciple in, uh, that Jesus, whom Jesus loves. And uh, the church is also uh, it talks about in Ephesians five that he loves the church. So Revelation four one it says after this I looked okay well the eye there is John picture of the church after this I looked and behold a door was open in heaven so there you go there's a door opening there's an opening in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So, the first time heaven opens, there's a there's a there's somebody going up, and that is the church, and Christ meets us in the clouds. And the second time that it opens is in is in this text that we just read in Revelation nineteen eleven. Uh, and if you want to read that, yep, verse eleven. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Okay. And so, obviously, Revelation 19 is about him coming down, him coming uh, back, literally, to set up his kingdom. So, it's just important that you remember those kind of, those kind of basic things. And so, uh, second coming is in two parts, and it is synonymous uh, or is connected with the millennial reign. So, we'll, we'll say both of those throughout this whole episode. Okay, so secondly, I will just remind you of this. We've made reference to this, and... and we haven't really sat down and talked about it for a long time, uh, but this event that we're talking about, this is the theme of the Bible. And so it's extremely important that you get that because I've actually used this illustration a lot, and I think I've used it on this podcast before, uh, but it's it's like watching a movie. Okay, so like when you approach your Bible, you need to know the theme of it because knowing the theme of anything that you're about to dive into is, is very uh, important. It would be like me giving you a book and and not and, and saying, okay, I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Not even like what. Not even if it's a if it's a mystery. Not even if it's a love story. I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to tell you if it's nonfiction or fiction. You just got to start reading it. Okay, eventually you can figure some stuff out, but that's really a crappy way to approach it. Same thing's true with our Bible. If we don't know the theme of it, uh, it really can can dim some things. And on this clearly shown in the Word of God. Uh, and the illustration that I always think about for us non-readers, uh, for the for us movie buffs, if you like me, is that I don't like watching a movie without seeing the trailer first. And my wife thinks that's crazy, and I think that's crazy. I think it's crazy that she thinks that that's crazy. <laughs> there, there is some some strange people in the world, truly. And you non-trailer movie watchers are are, are in that group. And so I like to watch the trailer so that I can kind of have, you know, uh, at least a basic understanding. Uh, now, the trailers obviously doesn't, sometimes some of the best trailers are some of the worst movies. 
I hate when that happens. But nonetheless, I'm going to watch the trailer so I can kind of know what I'm about to get into before I actually watch the movie. So you got to remember that. The theme of the Bible is uh, this event. So, okay, the theme of the Bible is the second coming and the millennial reign. So it's if somebody were to say, well, second coming, the, the second coming of Christ is the theme of the Bible. That is correct. If somebody were to say the millennial reign is, is the theme of the Bible, that is correct. Okay, because again, they're, those two things, they're connected because that is why Christ is coming to begin with, is for that reign. All right, and so why would that be the theme of the Bible? Well, because it's when Jesus Christ gets the glory that's due his name. It's when Jesus Christ actually positionally uh, and physically sits in the place that he's deserving of. He is a, he is a king. And and he has he has been working out this entire uh, course of, of human history using men, using people to accomplish his will and his work um, so that it would ultimately get us to that point to where he is in the place that he's deserving of. And so we have to remember that. So one of the things that people oftentimes have a problem with when approaching this whole thing of, uh, the theme of the Bible being the millennial reign or the second coming of Christ is that it actually some people don't like that and they they say that it's not the theme because they think that salvation is is the theme of the Bible. Now, I will say that salvation is talked talked a lot about in the Bible, specifically like for us, it's talked about in the New Testament, and it is pictured in the Old Testament, no doubt about it. Lots of pictures, Genesis twenty two, uh, the whole Exodus story, you know them leaving Egypt. It's, it's, it's sprinkled throughout the whole thing. The book of Ruth, a great picture of, of church age salvation, all those things, okay? A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more besides those. Uh, you know, Joseph himself is a great, clear picture of Christ and the many things that happened in his life. But uh, nonetheless, although those things are all shown, um, that's not the theme of the Bible because that would bring the emphasis to us rather than the Lord Jesus. And so... Really, a, a, a simple way to understand it is, um, you know, when we know this, when we, when we lay it out in the, this type of wording, but helps us understand this topic of the theme of the Bible not being salvation. Okay, we know that we were created for God. God was not created for us. Now, we're in Laodicea, and we use that word a lot, which means that we're lukewarm, most of us. Um, and so we like to think that, that God is actually here for us. Now, he is certainly a refuge for us. He is certainly our strength. He is certainly our peace. He is certainly our sustainer. He is certainly, uh, the book of Psalms, I think it's Psalm 103, talks about all the benefits of God. Certainly there's some benefits of knowing the Lord. Uh, His grace is sufficient in our lives, all these things. But it, all those benefits that come with knowing God and, and, our, and the presence of God and a personal relationship with God uh, does not mean that He is that he has created for us. No, it's actually the opposite. You know, it's Revelation 4.11, which says that we are created for his pleasure. So uh, when, when, we, when we take a, a step back and remember that, it reminds us that, okay, well, it's not really hard to understand that the theme of the Bible would be something that has to do with Jesus getting maximum glory. Because that's really what all this is about. This is about Jesus when he comes and gets the full glory that he, he's deserving of. So, uh, it really is just that simple. Another way that we know the theme of the Bible is 
the second coming of Christ slash the millennial reign is because two-thirds of the Bible actually talk about this. So you actually can't go read the Old Testament without literally running into reference after reference after reference about this. Now, you may not have known that those references were picturing or talking about what is coming down the pipe, um, but that is what they're doing. The book, the major and minor prophets are full of that specifically. Uh, I mean, you get into like Isaiah all the way through Malachi, and the whole thing is second coming of Christ and millennium. So th- that's actually why the Jews got sort of confused when Christ came the first time because they were anticipating the glory and the majesty of his second coming in his first coming. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for a king on a big horse. Well, guess what? He does that in his second coming, but that's obviously not what he was seeking to do in his first coming. He came as a servant. And uh, so it's important that we remind ourselves of that. So this day, this time frame, the second coming of Christ, the millennial reign, it is the theme of the Bible. Uh, Genesis 2 we see even in the second chapter of the Bible, and we've talked about this, but the second chapter of the Bible even lays out the whole, uh, this whole deal of the millennium. And it's even shown in creation here. It says, And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So here in all this, uh, we see that, again, that that a day with with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. So creation gives us a picture of uh, all of human history. And human history is about about 7,000 years. So we're about 6,000 years right now. We're waiting for the rapture and then all the stuff to take place that we've talked about, the second coming. And then the millennium will take place, which is a thousand years. So... We see it pictured there even in Genesis. Because again, did, did God need to rest after he, he created everything? Was he worn out physically? Of course not. Uh, he, he, that is, he, he's not weak flesh like we are, but he was doing that to show a picture of some things. And we'll say more about that later. All right, so number three, the third thing I would want to lay out in this whole deal tonight is that uh, in this second coming, and we've already said this many times, but... We need to understand that Christ will be literally ruling and reigning in person from a throne in Jerusalem. So, uh, again, it's because it, there's many people out there that would say that there's many people that are amillennial, and we talked about that in early episodes, that they don't believe in a actual millennium or a second coming. Um, but obviously it's laid out in Scripture that he clearly is coming back, and, and if we can't take that literally, then we have, we're going to have a hard time taking anything literally. Maybe the verses of our salvation, we have a hard time taking literally if we can't take Revelation 19 and, and 20 literally. So we certainly do take it literally, and so that leads us to this whole thing that, that Christ will be ruling and reigning in person, physically here on earth, sitting in a throne. And so Isaiah uh, you want to go to Isaiah chapter 9? Yep. And uh, maybe read verse 6 and 7. Yeah, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So notice that there's two times there, once in verse 6 and once in verse 7, that it says, talks about the government uh, being on him. So verse 6 specifically says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So, uh, if you read the whole verse there in verse 6, we actually quote this verse, a lot of people quote this verse during Christmas time, nothing wrong with that, because the first part of it is certainly talking about that. But it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That is certainly the the first coming of Christ. But then there's a colon there, and it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Okay, so... When you go back and look at Christ's first coming, this is what we do know. The government was not on his shoulder. He, matter of fact, the government is the very, or they're the very people that crucified him. The government was Rome. Those are the people calling the shots as far as uh, the government goes. And they're actually the ones, though he was given up by his own people, the Israelites, Rome is actually the one that drove the stakes in his in his hands and his feet and that crucified him. Two of the verses that come to mind when you were saying that about the government and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isaiah 53, 3, it says, He was despised and rejected of men. And then in John 15, 25, But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So that first time he came, he was despised and rejected. Everybody hated him. He, right. wasn't, he wasn't a king sitting on any throne. Yeah, so yeah, right. He's the exact, the exact opposite of the government being upon his shoulder or him being yeah. some kind of big shot king or anything like that. Um, and so what this shows us even in verse Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, is that rightly we talk about rightly dividing the word of truth. We love that, and we've spent so much time on that verse. Okay, well, rightly dividing is more than just dispensations, and it's more than just, you know, time periods or people groups. It's more than just people groups. It's more than just the church, uh, the Jew, and the Gentile. Okay, rightly dividing even is sometimes, even like this verse, it is dividing and understanding, okay, there's a difference between the first half of this verse and the second half of this verse. There is a 2,000-year colon in the middle of this verse. And so that is that is super crazy. But but so it, it just it reiterates what we're talking about here that if the second half of the verse is indeed talking about a second coming, what we see is that the government is going to be upon his shoulders. So we think about the governmental things now. Okay, there's a, there's going to be none of that. He is going to be the governor. He is going to be the government. He is going to be the the king, the one that calls the shots, the one that that rules and reigns. Okay, he's gonna he. It's his kingdom. It's his throne. It's his uh, it's his whole deal at that point. And so we just got to remember that, that this is a, a literal thing that, that will be done physically. It's, it's, not, it's not something to spiritualize. Okay, we, we right now in the church age, we are a part of a spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of God. It, it cometh not with observations, what Luke talks, was what Luke says. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not over here, it's not over there, it's within us. Okay, so it's a spiritual kingdom, but when Christ comes back, the kingdom of heaven, which is a physical kingdom, actually 
cohabitates and joins the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God, and it becomes it becomes Christ's kingdom uh, here on earth. And uh, we'll kind of give some references that show what, what I'm trying to lay out there too. Okay, so all those things so far, those first three things are very simple things that maybe you already knew. And I think we've, we, we've talked about all three of those things, so it's, it's nothing that we haven't said already. Uh, the fourth thing, just kind of using all this as a runway really for these last two points, and that is that the fourth thing, it, the, the millennium, this is a time of peace and of rest. Okay, so one of the greatest things or, or one of the most cherished things or most valuable things uh, to mankind is peace and rest, like peace and rest for the soul. People want that so badly. The, way, the reason we know that they want it so badly is we actually, I mean, world peace is one of the most talked about things throughout uh, the last several hundred years. Everybody's talking about world peace. You know, uh, there's the United Nations and their whole job is to to bring in world peace and to, you know, uh, make sure that these nations are, are, are on the same page and, and all these things. Okay. And so the problem with all these things is, is that people are trying to get to that place, but peace and rest is not available because, because the king's not in place. Because Jesus Christ is not yet on his throne and not yet calling all the shots. Now, he is certainly sovereign. God is certainly sovereign. He certainly is sitting on his throne in heaven right now. And certainly nothing can happen without his, him first allowing that. Uh, but, and we're, I'm going to say more about this, but he does allow Satan to be the little g God of this world and to cause havoc and to cause problems and to call some shots here and now, that one day he will not be allowed to when Christ is sitting on the, on the throne physically in Jerusalem. Okay, so the millennium is the time of peace and rest. Again, Genesis 2, as we broke that down, it says, and on the seventh day, God ended his work in Cal. If you want to go to Acts uh, chapter 3. Yeah. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Okay, so this day, the seventh day represents rest. Uh, that, the verse I gave you earlier in Isaiah 9, it is during the millennium when Christ is called the Prince of Peace. All right, and so it's, it's this time of rest, it's this time of peace, this time where everything is functioning exactly the way God intended it to. Uh, Acts 3, which Kyle has, is another reference. We've laid this reference out before, but it's describing this time frame uh, a very similar way. Go ahead and read that, big cow. You got it. You want a certain verse? Or... Oh, verse 19, my bad. No. I guess that'd be important. <laughs> yeah, just read the whole chapter. <laughs> yeah. Acts three nineteen. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. I wonder how, how well we'd do on this podcast if we literally got on here and just like read two chapters of the Bible and then we're like, <laughs> all right, y'all, take care. <laughs> yeah, anyway. But uh, yeah, so that uh, he's calling it there the times of refreshing, and that comes from the presence of the Lord. 
Uh, now there's some devotional stuff there, you know, God's presence in our life. It, you know, okay, but the context of Acts three is talking about coming back and returning for His His physical kingdom, and so is is truly that the millennium is a time of of refreshing. It's a time of rest. It's a time of peace. Okay, and, and as I was kind of getting in this a second ago, the reason that this is the case is because this time period, it's a time of peace and peace and rest. Because the governments of this world, they go from being controlled by Satan to being controlled by Christ himself. So again, again, don't get weird on this. God is still in control here and now, but he does, he has relinquished some things to Satan. There's just no doubt about it. We're about to run some references right here. And Satan has his way with some things, with a lot of things in this world. Okay? Uh, Kyle, if you want to go to Ephesians 6. But 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says this, In whom the God of this world... Now, you probably don't have your Bible open, but if you're listening to this reference, God here is low, is, lower, is uh, not capitalized, which it's not talking about God the Father, it's talking about Satan. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Okay, certainly, certainly not the Lord, right? Blinding minds to people that don't believe already lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Okay, so there, Satan, here and now in the church age, is called the little g God of this world. And because if you've got uh, Ephesians 6, look at verse, uh, read verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So notice that it's obviously talking about spiritual warfare here. And this spiritual warfare actually rolls into physical problems and physical opposition that we may experience here on this earth. And he's letting us know that it's not with other Man, it's not with other mankind's flesh and blood. That's not our battle, although it may seem like it is oftentimes. But our battle is against principalities and against powers. And again, notice this, rulers of the darkness of this world. And so you were to, if you were to go and just, I mean, we, those are not complicated words. But if you were to go study those words, it, it's, it is truly connecting us are showing us that Satan in this spiritual opposition is connected with the with the, the authority positions in this world system. Even the good old United States of America, whether it's Republican or Democrat, and I'm certainly a Republican. Just felt the need to throw that in there. But whether it's Republican or a Democrat in office, uh, man. The the one the, the 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 overseer or the one that has has direct ties and control to, to every kingdom in this world right now is Satan. Okay, if you were to study the word principalities, it actually is connected with like being a king, with like with being a prince. I mean, that's, it's in the word. Okay, Ephesians two two says it like this: Wherein in time past. Ye walked according to the course of this world, according, sum up before we got saved, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Okay, who's the prince there? Well, it's, it's, it's Satan. And another thing, another example of all this is 
is when you go over to Matthew chapter 4, and Big Cow, if you want to grab Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, but you have this whole deal where Christ is being, uh, he's fasting, 40 days of fasting, he's being tempted by the devil here in the, in the, the desert, and the devil come up, comes up to him with three different temptations, and that's the way everything works. Everything works in threes. Uh, God works in threes, but uh, so does this world system. Our, our enemies in this world are our flesh, the world itself, and the devil. All right? And uh, so, so Satan here, he comes up and he is, is working in, in, in three different types of temptations. And all those temptations correlate to 1 John 2, 16. Um, which talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so Christ, in response to all three of these temptations, he, taught, he, he, he defends off Satan with, it is written. That's what he says. That's the phrase he uses. He says, it is written. It is written. And he's, he's, he's defending or uh, resisting Satan uh, with the word of God. And if he needs to do that, then that is certainly our model for what we need to do. James chapter 4, I think it is. Uh, I think it's James 4, 7. But it talks about submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Okay, well, how do we do that? Well, we resist him through the word of God, not through our power and might. We're not like, you know, get, getting it up in the devil's face. Well, let me tell you something. And nobody, that, that's, I, we don't command the devil to do anything. That's nonsense. We, we, we uh, resist him with the word of God. And so, in Matthew 4, we have this temptation taking place. and no, But I want you to notice with talking about all this stuff, about Satan, Satan having control of the, the kingdoms of this world, notice what he, what he actually offers Christ here in uh, verse 8 through 10. Yep. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So it's interesting that Christ is certainly you know, 100% God in the flesh, and he is all-knowing as God the Father is. And Satan says this little bribe, or he gives this little offer, and he says, Hey, Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And it's funny, it's interesting that, that Jesus doesn't respond by saying, well, Satan, you know, it's, that's cute that you say that, but uh, those are mine. He actually doesn't deny that. He doesn't deny any of, anything that Satan just told him. He only responds with Scripture to defend the temptation that Satan's offering. So the, the very temptation that, that Satan was offering Christ was a legitimate offer and was a legitimate temptation. Well, and the reason it was a legitimate temptation and legitimate offer is because, as we're laying all this out, Satan has the access to the kingdoms of the kingdoms of this world. So, and this really could lead us into a lot of weird stuff down the road. Uh, but I'll just say that 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 is why it is not an unpatriotic thing to say that. You or, or that I don't trust the government. Like I said, we're Americans. We got some, and by the way, we got a few. We got a few listeners that are not in America. Shout out to y'all. We appreciate you. We love you, and we need you. All right. But for the majority of us, 
Uh, it's not an unpatriotic thing because you know why? Uh, well, it's not un- un- unpatriotic to say that we don't trust the government because we know who's behind them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And certainly, uh, if your mind has gone to Romans chapter 13, which talks about God uh, allowing every single person in power and, and rulers and those kind of things, uh, Romans 13, the first five verses talk about that. And that is certainly true. Okay, but it is also certainly true that God and Satan can also, can, can God can allow Satan to work and still bring God's ultimate plan to fruition. And that's what he does time and time again. So uh, the, this, this whole thing, this whole fourth thing that we're laying out here, again, just in case we forgot, you've forgotten because uh, kind of getting off, off track here a little bit, but the, the millennium is a time of peace and rest. So, the whole point of all these references is to show us again that the reason that this time is is such, the reason that this time period is a time of peace and rest, is because uh, there's a transition from Satan ruling, if you will, here on earth to Jesus Christ physically ruling here on earth, and that is why it brings ultimate peace. Because he is the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah 9, 7 talked about. He is our peace. He's the only one that can bring world peace. All right? Revelation chapter 20. Big Cal, if you want to go there. Revelation chapter 20. So, so how is it that this whole thing takes place where the, the ruling of the kingdom of the government goes from Satan's access to the Lord Jesus's access. Well, that's because, okay, Revelation 19 was the second coming, but in the beginning of Revelation 20, this is where you get into the millennial reign. And here we see what Christ does with Satan during this thousand year time period. You can read the first uh, three verses. Yep. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. All right, so that so not only is Christ ruling and reigning in Jerusalem, but he actually binds Satan up. Uh, for a thousand years, so he has he has no access to this world. He has no access to, uh, to, you know, walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He has no access to those things. Uh, and so, because of that, and because Christ is is sitting uh, in his throne in Jerusalem, okay, it's he's calling all the shots. And actually, I can't remember if Isaiah nine, we just read it, but. There's one reference in the Word of God that talks about him ruling with a rod of iron. Yeah. Was, was it in that it? one? Um, we read it. <laughs> did we? It was somewhere in Isaiah. Uh, let's see. You think I'd remember that? We just read it. Um, yeah, I can find it. Right yeah, there. you find that, big <laughs> cow. Uh, but so because of that, again, Satan is not is not calling the shots. Satan is bound for this oh. thousand years and so and, and Jesus Christ is the government is calling all the shots can go ahead with that reference big cow it's in Revelation uh, 2.27 okay so, we didn't read that though did we I don't think so huh 
227 says, And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. Okay. So. Uh, we read it somewhere else, too. but <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a few, a few times. So, it, you know, Jesus is not going to be uh, the white American long-haired hippie guy that sometimes, sometimes is portrayed in movies as some, you know, mellow, just chill guy. Uh, no, Jesus is going to be a king when he's here on earth, and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And when he says that something will be a certain way, there won't be an option. There won't be. Uh, it'll be a dictatorship, okay? But it'll be a great one because he's God and he knows what's best. And so Jesus will be be ruling and reigning. Revelation, hey. Revelation nineteen fifteen is the one we read earlier. Oh, okay. He says the same it. thing. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So. And this is where I would bring all this to the last point. The last thing that I would, I would, okay, we've kind of used the first several things that we've laid out tonight as just simple things that we've already talked about in passing in other episodes and things that many of us probably knew. Uh, if you haven't, then that's, that's great too. Um, but here's the application to us in the church age, okay? All of this brings us to number, to the fifth thing that I wanted to lay out. And that is what, what I said at the very beginning of this episode. That is that the potential rewards that we can receive are an inheritance for the millennium. Okay, so again, as we laid it out, what we do now, it has direct reference on how we do at the judgment seat of Christ. Not if we go to heaven or not, but how whether we get rewards or don't get rewards at the judgment seat. All right, and then whether we get rewards or not at the judgment seat is dependent on if we are able to rule and reign with him or to what extent we are able to rule and reign with him in the millennium. So this is, this is one of the biggest things. I say this all the time in the church I attend like with, my, with the teens that I work with and stuff like that. I think that people... Like, okay, we're Baptists, and so I know a lot of good Baptist people that Maybe you've just never learned these things or they've never been taught in the church they go to or whatever. But a lot of people just have this mindset of heaven that, you know, we're here on earth and that when we die, we're just going to be, we're just going to go to heaven and be in heaven forever. Okay. If people that know Christ die right now, yes, they will be in the third heaven with the Lord Jesus. But what takes place down the road in the future is not us staying in the same holding place of heaven for all of the rest of, of history. Okay, what actually is taking place is that we, and this is a crazy thing, people just can't wrap their mind around this, but the fact that we, even if we die right now, or even if we do get caught up in the rapture in the next few years, okay, we're coming back to this earth. We're going to be back here. And but we're going to be back here with Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And then it's not until after that thousand years that Christ, he destroys and makes a new heaven and a new earth. And that is when we will then be in new Jerusalem for, uh, for forever. So normally when people describe heaven, uh, and this is a study we don't really have time to get into, but normally when people describe heaven, they, they describe it a whole lot like new Jerusalem. But the deal is, New Jerusalem is not yet so. Okay, New Jerusalem is, is, is coming when 
in that Revelation 21 deal, the very very end of the of the Bible, when he he sets up new heaven and new earth, and then he he uh, sets up the city of, of New Jerusalem. Okay, so that is the point that we will be with Jesus forever in the same like location, if you will. But we got to remember that we are coming back to this earth. Okay, I say that because of this. It, I think it's so easy for us to get in this mindset that. You know, it's a great doctrine. It's a biblical doctrine, and it's a comforting doctrine to know that once we're saved, we're always saved. The only problem is some some Christians, me included, a lot of times, I take that doctrine and I sit on that doctrine and understand. You know what, man? There's nothing I can do to go to hell, and that's true. And praise God for that. But it's easy for us to get in this mindset where I think, you know what, man? It's all going to shake out to be the same way in eternity anyway. Whether I serve God or whether I don't serve God, we're all going to be in heaven. Okay. We are all going to eventually be in New Jerusalem. No doubt about it. But man, it will be very clear. We've said this in so many episodes. It will be very clear for those that sold their whole life out to Jesus Christ and those that sold their whole life out to themselves. That'll be very clear in eternity. It'll be very clear at the judgment seat of Christ. It'll be very clear in the millennial reign. And then it'll be it'll be very clear in New Jerusalem. And I don't have time to chase that rabbit again, but if you were to go back a few episodes, we talked about that potentially our crowns could be the things that actually make up the city walls of New Jerusalem, which reflect the light of Jesus Christ, which therefore magnifies and glorifies him that much more. So it could be that your that your crown could be part of what radiates Christ's light for all of eternity. And by the way, once we're in New Jerusalem, that's forever. There's no there's no time frame at that point. There is no more time. And so it's just important that we remember that. And that's simple stuff as far as understanding that you know what we do now affects eternity, but. I think it was Mark Trotter, one guy that we like to listen to, uh, who's gone home to be with the Lord now. But he used to say it like this, that this life is simply just a dress rehearsal for eternity. And that really is the case. This life is just, it's just the warm-ups for all of eternity. Like what we do now is just to get us prepared and ready for that day. For eternity, so man, it's just it's, it's so important that we that we stay uh, sharp on that and, and and in remembrance of that. So again, the potential rewards that we can receive those are an inheritance for the millennium. So, big cow, if you want to read Revelation twenty, verse four, he read he read the first three verses earlier. In the first three verses, we're talking about the beginning of the millennium, but I want you to notice here in Revelation twenty four. 20 verse 4. Uh, uh, go ahead and read it, Bikal, then I'm going to go back and, and draw attention to a few things. All right. Revelation 20 verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So... This is obviously in the middle of the millennium at this point, Revelation 20, verse 4. But what I want you to bring attention to 
is notice again in verse 4 that he says, and I saw thrones, plural. So we said that Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning from his throne in Jerusalem. But notice the verse says that there will be thrones, many of them, multiple, not one, but many. And then notice this, and they sat upon them, they being plural, and judgment was given unto them, plural, and I saw the souls of them, plural, that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So, this whole thing of an inheritance, as we've already said a lot in this episode, the, this, this inheritance, it is an opportunity to rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, and Kyle, if you want to go to uh, 2 Timothy 2 verse 12. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 9 and 10 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, I'm going to come back to that. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So in the, that reference, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, it uses the word inheritance, an inheritance or inherit twice with this kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting about that, we have to you know, uh, understand these terms, is that our salvation, okay, we, got, we, we became a part of the kingdom of God when we got saved because it's a spiritual kingdom and we were then spiritually born. We had a new birth. Okay, we, we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. But what we also know is that our salvation was not an inheritance. Our salvation was a gift. Okay, and this inheritance, this inheritance is connected with not doing some things. Our salvation is not connected with what we don't do. Our salvation was, was connected with who we know, who we have received or, or if we're not saved, have not received, being Jesus Christ. And so again, notice that he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you have a lot of people, a lot of Bible teachers, they'll go to this verse and they'll say, Boy, you better not be these things right here or you must not be saved. Well, the problem is we still have flesh even after salvation. And our flesh is as capable of doing the things that it did when we were lost. Our flesh is still wicked. And if we submit to it, then man, it's what comes down the pipe is, is wicked and vile. But what, what the, the Apostle Paul is actually laying out here in 1 Corinthians 6 is that how we live our life right now after coming to Christ, it is directly tied to our inheritance in this kingdom one day, which takes place in the millennial reign. All right? And so, Big Cal, if you want to read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, this is an interesting verse. This is a, 
church age book. Second Timothy is a is a book written to the church, or it was written to Timothy, but it's part of pastoral epistles to churches. Okay, and he says, he says, if we suffer, we shall reign with him. But notice this: if we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, what that verse sounds like is it sounds like we don't have eternal security. But we know that when comparing Scripture with Scripture, that Paul is constantly talking about no one can separate us from the love of God. Uh, that uh, Ephesians 1, that we were sealed until the day of redemption. All these different references that, that tell us about our, uh, about our eternal security in Christ. We're in, in Christ and He is in us at the moment of our salvation moving forward. And so, but what this verse is telling us if it's not talking about a lack of, of lack of eternal security, because it's obviously not, because that would be anti-scriptural in comparison to the rest of Scripture. But he says that if we if we suffer with him, we'll get to reign with him. Okay, well, reign, when's he going to reign? During the millennium. But on the flip side of that, if we deny him, he, he's going to deny us. Now, what that what that looks like is again the context of verse twelve is him reigning in his his kingdom. And so if we live our life here and now, and we sit and say, you know what, man, once saved, always saved, praise God. I'm just going to chill until Jesus comes. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to tell anybody about the Lord. I'm not going to. Okay. According to that, he will deny us the, op- the opportunity to reign with him in that kingdom. Well, again, why is that such a big deal? Well, because according to the Bible, this whole thing of him reigning is a stinking big deal to the Father because that's how he's getting all this glory. And so if you or I am not able to partake in that with him, then I'm not able to partake in the the very theme of the Bible. I'm not able to partake in in the magnitude in which God desires me to partake in, in, in in the time frame that God is looking forward to. I don't know if you're like me, but I always, I'm kind of a guy that I always have something I'm looking forward to coming down the chute. Like it may be six months out, but I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we're going there on okay on that day or whatever. I, I'm kind of wired that way. Well, what God the Father is is looking forward to, what he's like looking in his calendar, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's coming, is this time frame in the millennium because his son's going to get all the glory that he deserves. And man, I just would think it'd be a terrible thing according to 2 Timothy 2.12 and all these other references that we don't have time to chase down. But I think it'd be a, it would be a shameful thing for Jesus Christ to have saved us, to have purchased us. Our life became his, but we did not live our life in that manner. And so because of that, in eternity, we don't get to rule and reign with him. And he's like, you know what? Man, Dylan is not going to partake in what's best in my kingdom because he did not surrender his life to what was best when he was alive on earth. And that would be a stinking big deal and a sad thing for me. Romans chapter 8, last reference. I'll hit Big Kai and if you want to tie the bow on this however you uh, want to. But Romans chapter 8 says this. And if children, then heirs. Okay, so if you got saved, then you became a child of God. So he's saying, if we're children, then we're heirs. 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Okay, what is an heir? An heir is somebody that has uh, access to a kingdom. So we, uh, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we, okay, notice this. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also, that we may be also glorified together. And then verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Here's the whole deal. Here's the whole bombshell. The millennial reign is all about Jesus Christ because it's when he gets all this glory. The bombshell, though, that people don't want to talk about because it seems selfish and, and, and self-driven, but it's not. It's, it's Bible. The bombshell on this is that God has set, his, set this kingdom up with his, with his son, that those of us that will surrender all and suffer for the name of Christ now, we actually get to take part in this kingdom with Jesus Christ. And not only do we get to take part in this kingdom, and it's almost hard for me to say what I'm about to say, but if we take Romans 8 literally, not only do we get to take part in this, but we actually share glory with the Lord Jesus in eternity. Now that sounds, just sounds terrible from like a human reasoning standpoint because we're nothing and we're worthless. But that's what the verse says. Again, I'm gonna read it again. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together, us glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So here's the whole deal. Here's the motivator. Uh, The temptation for all of us at all times is to live our life for the here and now. The temptation for me on a stinking daily basis is for me to say, you know what, I'm going to kick back, lean back, relax, prop my feet up, and just coast through my Christian life. The problem with that is, although that may make for an easier life here and now, the problem with that is, according to all these references, there will be a day, and that day will be a thousand years, and then for all of eternity after that. There will be a day that is coming down the chute that I will be a part of, that I will be sitting in regret thinking, man, Dylan, why didn't you stinking surrender all during your life here on earth? It's really bad math to, 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 to live my life for myself here and now. It's really bad math to try to live it up for 70 or 80 years and therefore to take it on the chin for a thousand years in his kingdom. That's just bad math. That's bad reasoning. You don't even have to be super spiritual to understand that that's a bad bargain. So man, we need to be, we need to be focused on eternity. We need to be living our lives now in preparation for that kingdom. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's investing in eternal things. The eternal things in our life are the word of God and the souls of men. That's what we need to give our lives to. And if we give our lives to those things, 
then we'll do good at the judgment seat of Christ and we'll do good in the millennium and we will go into the into New Jerusalem and what I believe is having part of our crowns and our rewards being a part of the very thing that sets up and uh, actually makes up the city that we'll spend all of eternity in. That's all I got. Yeah. Praise God. Oh, I thought the computer. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, just to, to tie it up, um, the things that, that I was thinking of when it comes to this millennium and the purposes of it, we mentioned, you know, Jesus Christ is finally sitting on his throne. He's finally getting the glory and honor he deserves. He's going to show us how our government and society should be functioning, right? That's right. Uh, he's going to, he's fulfilling that promise of an earthly kingdom for Israel. Um, and then we were just talking about the reward of inheritance. And one of the places that came to my mind was Colossians chapter 3 and 4. Um, Colossians 3 verse 23 and 24 says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Well, why should we do that? Verse 24 says, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Um, and real quick, I was going to point out, I know I mentioned this parable of the pounds uh, a couple weeks ago, but I just wanted to read a couple of the verses in Luke chapter 19. He's got these... Uh, what are they, 10, uh, 10 servants, and he gives 10 pounds, right? So each servant has one pound, um, and this this ties in with this millennium stuff and the inheritance. But verse 16, I think it is, uh, okay. So he gives these 10 servants of 10 pounds. Verse 16 of Luke chapter 19 says, Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. So this first servant took that one pound, now he has 10 pounds. The second servant took that one pound, has five pounds. Well, in verse 17, he, and he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. So when Dylan was talking about us ruling and reigning with Christ, that par- parable is a picture of that. The things we do here, the things we do on this earth now, will dictate how we're ruling and reigning with Christ later. Um, and, and just because we preach eternal security uh, and you can't lose your salvation, that doesn't mean you can't lose something, right? It doesn't mean you can't lose those rewards that we're talking about. And then lastly, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Master, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in, in heaven. So God is just and equal, but that does not mean God is fair, right? This isn't this isn't upwards where everybody wins and everybody, right. everybody every, get a trophy. Yeah, everybody gets the trophy at the end. Everybody's not going to get the same thing, right? God's going to reward people just and equally according to their accomplishments down here, right? So, not saying we have to work to earn our salvation, but there is rewards, and our position in the millennial reign has to do with yeah. what we do down here. Yeah, he would really he would be that was a good reference. I'm glad you went there. He would be unjust if you take two guys and the first guy lives for himself, gets saved, calls upon Christ for salvation, but then lives for himself here on this earth versus somebody else that gets saved and let's just say goes to the mission field and gives their whole life for the sake of the gospel. If they got the, if they had the exact same experience in, in eternity, God would be unjust. So that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. All right. I think that was a good episode. Uh, I'm not sure sure where this leads to next. We've hit. I don't know if we go into the eternity stuff and all that. Maybe so. Maybe the we'll, end, uh, maybe mixing it in with the end of the millennium. 
Yeah. Do the hell it ends kind of crazy. All right, we'll see. So uh, stay tuned. Maybe we'll be a surprise. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, thanks for listening.